You're listening to a podcast of Red Sea Church, a community of faith in Portland, Oregon, where our mission is to draw to Christ, develop in community, and deploy into culture. Paul presents us in Ephesians. We are completing that series, and we have seen a man who is the same way with the gospel itself. That it is real to Paul because it's something that he's experienced in his life. A very dramatic conversion, and then also his ministry, he's seen God work in tremendous ways. And in his message to the Ephesians, he was eager to share with them just awesome things about the gospel. The first three chapters of the book of Ephesians, we call it a book. It was simply a letter from a man to a church, but we call it a book. And he wrote about the gospel. These are the blessings and the benefits of the gospel. And in the, four, uh, the, the second, third, chapters 4, 5, and 6, the second half of the book, he said, in light of the gospel, here's how we're supposed to live so that we demonstrate the blessings of the gospel that we received. And we've gone through that over the past year. Now Paul is closing up. We're going to look at only four verses. Four verses. And Paul is closing up the book of Ephesians, or his letter, I need to say his letter to the Ephesians, the church at Ephesus, and he summarizes two overarching things. Just two overarching things. In verses 21 and 22, he'll say, my summary of what he's saying is, walking with Christ is personal, but not private. Walking with Christ is personal, but it's not private. And in verses 23 through 24, we're going to see that the blessings in Christ are provided, but they're not perishable. The blessings in Christ are provided, but not perishable. I'm going to read those four verses. So I'm going to ask in honor of God's word that you stand with me, and we're going to read those those verses together right now. This is Ephesians chapter 6, verses 21 through 24. Hear the word of the Lord, not just to the church at Ephesus, but because it's God's word to us today. These are the words of the Lord. So that you, you also may know how I am and what I am doing, Tychicus, the, the beloved brother and faithful minister of the Lord, will tell you everything. I have sent him to you for this very purpose, that you may know how we are and that he may encourage your hearts. Peace be to the brothers and love with faith from God the Father and and the Lord Jesus Christ. Grace be with all who love our Lord Jesus Christ with a love incorruptible. You may be seated. Walking with Christ is personal, but it is not private. It is personal, but it is not private. Where do I get that far? Just a couple things we get that far. First of all, some of it's really obvious, is that Paul wrote a letter to a church. This is a letter to a group of individuals, and they would have read it as if it was a group of individuals. They, they wouldn't have t- just taken home c- multiple copies of it and read it in the home in their quiet devotions in the morning. They didn't have such a thing. They would have gotten together as a group of believers in Ephesus, and they would have read it together and talked about it together and understood it, him speaking to them as a church. And then they, as they met in their homes, they would have passed copies around and shared it together and talked about it. So it was the blessings of the gospel, Paul is saying, are for everyone in the church. And the instructions to walk in the way of the gospel are to be followed by everyone and to be done together. Even as an example, Josh last week talked about the armor of God, and, and, he, and the, Paul says, Finally, be strong in the Lord and the strength of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the devil's scheme. 
And when they read that, we often think, oh, I have to put on the armor of God. Jay, uh, the, the, the Christians back in Ephesus wouldn't have thought of it that way. They understood it. They're putting together, putting on the armor of God. They are being strong in the Lord together. They are doing this together. The concept of the, particularly a Western American concept of the individual isn't as strong for them. And, and if we think about it, what, what do you call a soldier who goes off into battle by himself? Dead is what you call him. Okay, And they understood that. And when they're going into battle against Satan, they're not going by themselves. They're going as a church. They do it as a church. The second thing is we know that Paul did not travel by himself. Paul, when he wrote his letters and when he did his missionary trips and went around, he didn't travel. He always was serving in a team. We have record after record after record of this. And even when he started his ministry in Acts chapter 13, the the, the church in Antioch was praying, and the Holy Spirit told the whole church, you guys set apart for me Barnabas and Saul, which would be Paul, and, and uh, to, to do the work of the ministry which I have laid out for them. And so he even started his ministry with a partner. And his ministry ever since was doing this. Now, why is that important? Well, as, as we know, we're introduced, and later in Acts, we're introduced to a whole list of people that Paul served with. And one of them was a guy named Tychicus. T-Y-C-H-I-C-U-S. Tychicus. He was a Gentile, a non-Jew, from Asia. And he's part of the list of guys. And Paul talks about him in his letter to Timothy, in his letter to Titus. He talks about this guy, Tychicus, a faithful servant in the Lord. And, and we know, because of this closing remark of the book of Ephesus, that Tychicus was the person who carried the letter to the Ephesians from Paul. Paul's in Rome, in prison. He has to get his letter. There is no postal service. There is no FedEx. There is none of that. He has to send somebody with a letter. So he sends Tychicus to Ephesus to take his letter, and he's always serving with them. But we also read something interesting about him. And the way Paul talks about him in this closing, the way he addresses this man, talks about this man in his closing. He says in verse 21, Tychicus, the beloved brother and faithful minister in the Lord. That's his description of the guy. Tychicus is standing with the Ephesians right now as they're reading the letter. And they're reading about him. He's a beloved brother. And that caught my attention as I was studying this passage. Beloved brother. Where, where else does Paul use that phrase? And, and in actuality, in, in Ephesians, three times he uses the word beloved. Loved, much loved person. And in the first one, the first time he uses that word is in Ephesians chapter 1. And he writes this. He says, in love he, God the Father, predestined us for adoption as sons through Jesus Christ according to the purpose of his will to the praise of his glorious grace with which he blessed us in the beloved. The beloved there is Jesus. So he is talking there about Jesus is the beloved, much-loved son of God the Father. That's the first time Paul uses that word. And he says in there, very significantly, that through his beloved son, he has now provided a way for all of us, those who respond to the gospel in faith, to be adopted as sons and daughters We are, because of Christ, able to be sons and daughters of God. Not simply forgiven our sins. He died for our sins. That's awesome. That we're forgiven the debt of our sins is awesome. But we're much more than that. When we respond to the gospel, we are children of God. We are adopted in the family. That's why one of our Red Sea identities, for those of you who are familiar with our pathways, is family. We're family together in the gospel. But then the second time Paul uses that phrase is a little while later in Ephesians 5. He says this. He says, 
after he spent three chapters un- unpacking the gospel and explaining some stuff, he says this, Therefore, be imitators of God, in other words, copy God, we talked about that a couple months ago, as beloved children. Copy God. Imitate your father as a much-loved child. He goes on, And walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us as a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. So, since we are now much-loved sons and daughters of God because we responded to the gospel, we are to imitate, copy our Heavenly Father. Just like children copy their parents, we are to copy our Heavenly Father. And what are we supposed to copy Him doing? Paul says, loving. We are to, as we have generously received the love of God, we are to generally, generously give that love away to other people. And just in case we get confused about what that love looks like, he says in there, copy or pay attention to your big brother. He didn't use the word big brother. Jesus. He says just in there, Jesus, um, walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us. We know what love looks like because we know what Christ did on our behalf. That's the second time he used beloved. But what's even more interesting, at least to me as I thought about it, read this was, he uses it a third time. And in, that's in our passage today. He says, so that you may also know how I am and what I am doing, Tychicus, the beloved brother and faithful minister of the Lord, will tell you everything. Now he's gone from talking about Christ as the beloved son of the Father to all of us being beloved children in God. Now Paul names names. Now he gets personal. This isn't just a, theori- uh, a theological concept. Now he's saying that reality of being beloved is a real thing in my life with real people. And he uses this term actually for, for other people other than Tychicus, but he uses it for here. He names them. And it's significant, and we overlook this sometimes, is Tychicus was not a Jew. He was not from a Jewish background. He's from Asia. He was, from his name indicating he was, he was probably a Gentile, a non-Jew. So it's very significant that Paul is writing and saying, listen, from, I, I have a partnership, a friendship, with a man who was culturally, religiously, and ethnically very different from me, but yet we're partners in the gospel. Why? Because of the gospel truth changed us. And that partnership, he now says, not only did we get along and we do ministry together, but Tychicus and Epaphras and others, they're my much-loved brothers. They're much-loved brothers. Tychicus was more than a friend to Paul. He's more than someone he did ministry with. He was, he was a beloved, much-loved brother. The truth of the gospel brought them together. The truth of the gospel bound them together. And they worked together. But there's a little bit more to this than that. In this verse, we see that now Tychicus is standing with the Ephesians while they're reading this letter. And, and he's there with the people. And they can ask him questions about the letter. They can ask him questions about Paul. They can say, basically, hey, is this Paul guy, does he really practice what he preaches? Is he legit? Is he really saying this stuff? Or is he just, is is it part of his life? And Tychicus, who knows Paul so well, can answer that. Not only that, the significant thing is, Paul says he's sending Tychicus there for that very purpose. Look what he says. So that you may also know how I am and what I'm doing. Tychicus, my beloved brother, is coming to you. He will tell you everything. Full disclosure. No secrets. 
I have sent him to you for this very purpose, that you may know how we are, plural. So there's other people with Paul in Rome, that he may, and that he may encourage your hearts. So Paul had in his life, this is the point, people that he was bound together because of the gospel, that he knew so well he could trust them, and that they knew him so well they could speak for him. They could go places and represent him, and they could speak for him, and he had had confidence, not just that they're delivering the message, but they're representing him and the gospel well. And not just because of his authority, but him personally. And it was as if, when Tychicus was talking to the Ephesians, that he was, Paul himself was there talking to them too. That's how close they were. That's what he's saying. We need, we need to think about that in our lives, in the hustle and bustle of our lives, the, the, the things that we go through. I want you to stop and, and just think for a moment of a couple questions. Do, do you have a beloved brother, beloved sisters in your life, much loved, not because of just common background or common interests, but because of the gospel, that, that you, have, you can openly share with them both the, the transformation and the triumphs of the gospel in your life, but also the trials. Remember, Paul was in prison when he wrote this. Things were not going well. And the Ephesians were concerned for his well-being. Tychicus let him, let him know how he was doing. Do you have someone in your life whom you could send? This is a litmus test. Do you have somebody in your life that you could send to represent you to a group of people, and you can trust not only would they be real with them, but they actually would be uh, so personal about you that it would be as if you were delivering the message or there yourself. That's, that's the kind of fellowship. That's the kind of relationship. That's what it means that the gospel is personal but not private, that we have that kind of relationship. But not only are we walking in Christ is personal but not private, but we also see another thing in these verses, that the blessings in Christ are provided but not perishable. They're provided to us free through Christ, but they won't go away. They won't go away. We see this in verses 23 and 24. Peace be to the brothers and love with faith from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Grace be with all of you who love the Lord uh, Jesus Christ with a love incorruptible. So Paul closes the last two sentences of his, his letter to them is a benediction. It's a blessing. It's a prayer. He's not asking them to do anything. He's talking to God the Father. He's telling them what he said to God the Father, bless these people, bless these people, Lord. And in there, he's asking them that God would work the truths that he's already unpacked in Ephesians into their lives. We've already seen him do this in Ephesians 1. He prayed for them. As he unpacks the gospel, he prays for them, and he says that, that he prays that the God of the Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you, may give you, provide to you a spirit of wisdom and revelation so that you can know Christ and know for sure what is the hope to which he has called you, what are the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints, and what is the immeasurable greatness of his power to us who believe according to the workness of his great might. Those are awesome things that Paul wants them to know and us to know are true for us. It's as if he's saying, God, you have provided all these huge blessings for them in Christ, I want you to work in their hearts so they can experience them as realities. Not just simply truths to learn, but realities that change their lives. And in this final blessing, he, he emphasizes three things. Peace, love, and grace. Peace, love, and grace. And he's saying, God has provided these to you. Now they're characteristics. 
Their reality is not only to know, but to experience together. We look at this in verse 2, peace. He talked about peace in that. Where do we get peace? In, verse, in chapter 2, Paul unpacks that. He says there, But now in Christ Jesus, you who were once were far off, have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he himself, Christ, is our peace. Jesus is our peace. Who has made both one and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility. The hostility between Jew and Gentile has been removed through the blood of Christ. You want a current example of that? Think of Israel and Palestine. The hostility that's between them has been removed in Christ. They just don't either side acknowledge that. That hostility was there back then. It has not changed since that time. And then he goes on and says that hostility isn't just theoretical. It's now supposed to mark our life. That peace, excuse me, not the hostility. Hostility is not supposed to mark our life. In Ephesians 4, he says, Therefore, I, prisoner of the Lord, I urge you to walk in a manner worthy of your calling in which you were called, with humility and gentleness and patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. The peace that Christ is to you, people should look at your lives together and say, yep, that's a word I would use for them. They are a peace-loving group of people. He talks about love in there, in that benediction, that blessing, love. We're told about the love of God in, again, chapter 2 of Ephesians. Paul says, but God, being rich in mercy, because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. Why, why, even when we're sinners, are we provided life through Christ? Because God loves us. With such a huge love, he has to send Christ. But that same love is supposed to be a mark of our lives, Paul says in Ephesians 5. He says, therefore, we've already looked at it, therefore be imitators of God as beloved children. God loves us, we're love. And walk in love. Live a life that's marked by love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us, a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. We both receive the love from God, and that changes us so we are a loving people. And the grace, the grace that he has here. Grace. In in chapter 1, in Christ we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our sins, according to the riches of his grace. Again, God provides us grace, and the result is Christ dies for our sins, and we are forgiven. It's because of his grace, our undeserved favor, that we get um, the salvation, the, the provision of Christ dying, redemption for us. But that same grace should be a mark of our lives, should be the same thing. We experience it now as if it's real, not just in our relationship with God, but with each other. He's talking in Ephesians 4, he talked about how we're supposed to be changed, put off the old way we live, change the way we think and put on the new way, and then what we do is, he gave us some examples, and one of them is, don't let corrupting talk come out of your mouths, but only as such as we're building others up that fits the occasion, that it may give grace to those who hear. We are to be a people that when we talk in any circumstance, what people should hear is undeserved favor of God in what we say. Not that we're always quoting Bible verses, but we should be so gracious and merciful and kind with how we treat people. That's what they experience. when they, even, even something as simple as a conversation. The grace of God is something we receive, but it's also something we experience and pass on to others. And in the end of this, in verse 24, he says something kind of weird. It's kind of unusual in English. He says, Grace be with all of you who love our Lord Jesus, 
with love incorruptible. Sounds a little intimidating at first. Uh, the word in, incorruptible it just seems, simply means uh, with immortality, or we would probably say eternal. With love eternal. What he's saying here, he's not saying that loving Christ without change is the condition or the prerequisite of getting a blessing. He's not saying that. He's saying quite the opposite. He's saying when we love Christ, that love that we experience from God, the experience that we give back to God, is going to go on for eternity. It, it doesn't end. It's not just because it ends we experienced it once or a few times in our life. It's going to grow. It's going to increase. Even when there's a new heavens and a new earth, when Christ returns, some of the marks of that environment are going to be, guess what? Peace, love, and grace. And for eternity, we will experience peace and love and grace. Those of us who have responded to the gospel and are Christians, with increasing understanding and with growing amazement, it will never go away, only grow. So as I was wrestling with this for my own life this week, as I was thinking through this, I was thinking about how I pray. Do, do I pray like Paul prays? I've been challenged by that for years, and I've shared that sometimes with you guys. But again, this week, it came up to me, and I'm just thinking about this. Do, how do I pray? What describes? Do I, do I pr- pr- pray situational prayers? It's things like, God, here's a problem. Please fix it. Does anybody else pray that way? I unfortunately find that's the most of the way I pray. God, here's a problem. I don't like this. It makes me uncomfortable. Please fix this. But that's not how Paul prays. Paul prays, instead, gospel-focused prayers. He says, God, you have provided for us peace and love and grace. Can you please allow us to experience it, even in the midst of the problems? There's a huge difference in those kind of prayers. To know that God has already provided something for us, grace and peace and love, and he wants us to experience them more and more and more. And how do we experience them? When we face situations that require peace, that require more love, that require more grace. And we say, God, we need no more of it. And guess what he does? In his generosity, he responds to those prayers as Paul expected him to pray, respond. And he gives us through the work of his spirit, through his word, and through his church, those things to us. Peace and love and grace are not static truths. They're dynamic and eternal realities that we'll grow into and will increase during our walk with Christ. We have an opportunity every week to celebrate these things of peace and love and grace through the Lord's Supper, through communion. And up on each side of me, you'll see a table, and, and the table is, is bread and wine, representing the blood, body and blood of Christ. And we, and we at Red Sea celebrate this every week because we feel it's an instruction that Paul, uh, Jesus said to do every week. But also, we acknowledge, we acknowledge um, that our need for that peace and love and grace every week. We need to acknowledge understanding the gospel every week. So I invite you, if you are a Christian, if you have responded to the gospel in repentance and faith, we invite you as we, as we start singing in a few minutes, we're going to take, a, take the communion, come up, break off a piece of bread, come up with others as a family of God, whether they're literally your family or friends, and take the bread and blood together and give thanks to God for his peace provided in Christ, for he himself is our peace. 
And we can celebrate because of his great love with which he loved us. And we can also celebrate according to the riches of his grace. Will you pray with me? Heavenly Father, we thank you for these things. And we thank you for your many, many blessings in Christ. We especially thank you for in Christ, peace, love, and grace. Amen. Thank you for listening to this message from Red Sea Church. If you would like more information about Red Sea, including more audio messages, please go to our website at www.redseachurch.org. If you would like to contact Red Sea, you can email us at info at redseachurch.org.